How do you do? Mr. Carl Lindley feels it would be a little unkind to present this picture without just a word of friendly warning. We are about to unfold the story of Frankenstein, a man of science who sought to create a man after his own image without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with the two great mysteries of creation, life and death. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to... Uh, well, we've warned you. I've lost all ambition for worldly acclaim. I just want to be the one you love. Lost all ambition, worldly acclaim. I just want to be Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Slasher Girls Podcast's Monster of the Month. My name is Madison. And I'm Raina. And we're the only two here this week. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> uh, for those of you tuning in, we're doing something a little bit different this week. We're introducing our new subseries called Monster of the Month. Ooh, Ooh. spooky. Literally, we're, we're starting this offshoot just because... In addition to slasher films, we all happen to love like monster movies and classic universal monster films. It's one of those things that I, I want to say we're all pretty passionate about, right? Yeah, it it was one of those conversations where we were like, wow, I wish we could cover monster movies. And then we all looked at each other and we were like, wait a minute, we can cover monster <laughs> movies. So we're really excited to be doing this for sure. Yeah, we'll be doing these about once a month and we'll focus on a monster film of some sort. Don't worry, the slasher carnage isn't going anywhere. We're still sticking with it. We just, you know, want to talk about some, well, definitely in this case, some old uh, black and white monster movies. Um, <laughs> Madison, how would you define a monster film? I, that is such a hard question. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I know. That's why um, I asked it. <laughs> I would define a monster film as a non-human creature and really good makeup. That's what mm -hmm. I look for in a monster film. Could one theoretically think that slasher films are monster movies, but the monster is man? I think I was just thinking about that today. Actually, I was thinking about um, Freddie and Michael today. And I was like, they're kind mm -hmm. of monsters because they're not like tied to this earth. They're not very human. I feel like the only one I wouldn't really classify as a monster would be like Ghostface because they're so human. Uh -huh. But I think that a lot of what makes people love monster movies, like the, the costumes and the, and the effects and stuff like that, is definitely a huge part of the slasher genre. So I totally think they're like a man, more of a man monster than anything. Mm, but yeah, okay, I definitely think so. What about you? You know, monster movies to me are movies that have monsters. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, monster films to me, I think of them more as um, having ties closer to gothic fiction. Mm, for sure. Um, traditionally. 
like I watched like a universal monster film and and it's just so tied to gothic literature and that whole style that I tend to think the genre leans more to that. I know like it's a big, wide, expansive genre, but to me, somebody says the term monster movie and I think like, oh, Dracula, Frankenstein, Wolfman, Mummy, etc. You catch my drift? No, I completely agree. And I think that's kind of what makes me love these movies is I love a lot of their books. So it's really Uh fun to go back and watch them. But I think that also counts more of the case for like original genre defining Mm -hmm. monster movies, which is what we are going to be covering. Whereas more modern monster movies, instead of these ones being tied to the literature, they're just tied to the film based on the literature. Like Raina said earlier, this isn't in place of Slasher Girls. We're still doing our bi-weekly cadence for the podcast. These will just be like a bonus episode every month outside of our bi-weekly pod. And not all of us will be on them. Yeah, <laughs> all yeah. The time. It's kind of a, a a bonus club. Whoever wants to join that extra week that month and just talk about more stuff we love. We have so many things in the horror genre that we all want to cover. And this won't be our only offshoot series, but we're really excited for it to be our first. Totally, totally. With that out of the way, do you want to tell our listeners the film in question we'll be discussing today? Of course. We are going to start with one of the classics, Frankenstein, 1931, directed by James Whale. This is obviously the film based on the book by Mary Shelley, which I love. In Frankenstein, Dr. Henry Frankenstein, played by Colin Clive, wants to build a man in his own image. He and his assistant, Fritz, played by Dwight Fry, dig up a freshly buried coffin and steal the body, as well as some brains from some other doctors. Using a mysterious ray that Dr. Frankenstein discovered, the body is brought to life during a thunderstorm, and the monster of Frankenstein, played by Boris Garloff, is born. The additional cast is Mae Clark as Elizabeth, John Bowles as Victor Moritz, Edward Van Sloan as Dr. Waldman, and Frederick Kerr as Baron Frankenstein. Okay, so I might be like an idiot, and please tell me if I am. Um, <laughs> I had it. I it took me like I've seen this movie like hundreds of times, obviously, <laughs> because it's it's Frankenstein, a hundred percent. Like this is a movie I've seen watch every single year for Halloween. Yeah, kind of just casually watch it when I want background noise. I, I always put these movies on like this Dracula just on in the background. Right. I love yeah, doing like, that. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. The whole month of October, Mm -hmm. while I was like typing on my computer, it was always like a universal monster movie on in the background. Yeah. But it took me until this watch to realize that Fritz is played by fucking Renfield from Dracula. Yes. (laughs) I never noticed that. Oh, my gosh. I think someone pointed that out to me last time. So I didn't figure that out on my own either. But okay. That was pointed out to me and I was so excited when I found out. (laughs) Yeah, it just like, okay. first and foremost, this movie reuses a lot from Dracula, which came out earlier in the year in 1931. You also have like Edward Van Sloan, who does the introduction, who played uh, Van Helsing in that film. Mm -hmm. 
it felt like at the time nobody really had faith in the horror genre. So mm-hmm. Universal was just given this small like resource pool to try and pull from <laughs> and, and craft these stories from. Yeah. What's so funny to think about is how studios spend a lot of money trying to do that now. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, we got this guy from this movie and it's like a deep cut. Whereas back then it was like, we have $32. Let's do it. <laughs> Well, same with the whole uh, cinematic universe. No, exactly. That's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Universal was doing the cinematic universe thing with their monsters even before Marvel or anybody yeah. came on the scene. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fun to look at these films that both came out the same year. I believe Dracula was like February and Frankenstein was November of that year. So mm-hmm. pretty far apart, but a big, big start for Universal Horror. and. um To see some of the same players is really cool. And they continue to have their characters cross paths and all of that stuff for many, many films over many, many years. So it's very fun. Well, these are kind of the defining depictions of these characters. Yeah. Yeah. You think uh, Frankenstein, you think of that signature uh, Jack Pierce makeup with the square head on Boris Karloff. Mm -hmm. Like Boris Karloff played frankenstein's monster in like what two films and (laughs) like it's forever cemented with his legacy yeah it's kind of amazing that and we'll talk about this a little bit later but um how this was just a version of it this isn't even what the source material says and it just is what the public has stuck with for god almost a century (laughs) like that's crazy (laughs) to think about but so so what's your history with this film? Oh, gosh. When did you first see it? What were your first impressions? Were you a little kid? Yeah, I was a very little kid. I feel like to talk about that, I have to talk about two of my favorite movies from my childhood. One uh-huh. was Young Frankenstein okay. and the other was Van Helsing. I have talked about Van uh, Helsing so many times on this podcast, but I my parents still joke about it. I had that in the DVD player and it never left. My whole as as soon as it came out on DVD for years, I watched that movie essentially every single day. And mm-hmm. then Young Frankenstein was one of my favorite movies as a kid as well. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure at what age my parents were like, well, you have to watch Frankenstein. But it was young, you know. Uh-huh. And it was one of those movies I was very into at a very early age, like seven or eight years old. I was obsessed with goth people i Uh was obsessed with horror as much as i was allowed to watch and i was Uh obsessed with like emo music and dark imagery i was just a little hot topic second grader right Uh so these were clean movies that my parents could let me watch that were still in the horror genre so i wasn't as limited so the universal movies as a kid just meant the absolute world to me and um Uh i i really had an affection for Frankenstein as a kid because he's like a little kid or a puppy. He he really like obviously he kills people, but like he's very sweet and misunderstood. And I felt very connected to his character in every iteration of Frankenstein. I felt very connected to the character. So yeah, mm-hmm. I I can't pinpoint an exact first watch, but just I I grew up with him, you know? What about you? Mm-hmm. Gosh, I want to say 
in, in a twist that's oddly similar to yours. When I was a kid, the Brendan Fraser mummy was like oh, really big. That was a big uh, movie. That was another one my parents still make fun of me for because it was always on. <laughs> yeah. For gay reasons. <laughs> big, big movie. And uh, my parents, well, my dad in particular was like, oh, I like the original one with Boris Karloff. And I was like, wait, there's another mummy movie. So he showed me that one. That was actually one of the first Universal monster movies I'd, oh, wow. I had ever seen. And he just said that like Boris Karloff was like famous for like doing all these other monster movies. And it led me straight into the path of Frankenstein. I love that. Yeah. So I rented it from my local Hollywood video on VHS and watched it. I used to just rent like all of these movies mm-hmm. and horror like. I was getting so into horror because this was kind of around the same time when my parents showed me Halloween and Scream for the first time that I every time we were going to the video store, I was running just nonstop horror movies like everybody talks about like what kids movies they like growing up and mine (laughs) are like, oh, yeah, Friday the 13th and Dracula. Like it's like all horror movies. I I be I was obsessed with the genre from like a very young age, like well into my adulthood still. Mm-hmm. And I was always I was always kind of blown away by by the by the set design in this film and the costume design. Mm-hmm. You have Colin Clive as like your typical mad scientist. You have just beautiful like beautiful like scene decoration like the opening where they're digging the grave and you see like the crucifix in the background of the graveyard and whatnot yeah just all of that imagery like deep gothic imagery was ingrained into my Mm -hmm. mind from like first viewings it's always like it's weird it's like always been like a somewhat place of comfort it's always a movie i throw on in the background because i've watched it from such an early age like these these movies rule and Frankenstein yeah. in particular rocks um, considering it's um, one of the biggest Hollywood films of the 1930s directed by an openly gay man, which mm-hmm. was rare at the time. Mm-hmm. And based on a book written by a woman like those are two crazy things. Yeah. Yeah. Written by the mother of science fiction. <laughs> it's a movie that resonates with me in more ways than one. I mean, obviously, I went on to read the book the older I got. Mm -hmm. But to me, this was always the story of Frankenstein. Yeah, there's something about these these old movies. I know you said that they bring a lot of comfort, which I totally agree with. But there is just something so visually stunning about every single one of them. And we'll get to the bride in later months, especially there's something about the bride of Frankenstein that aesthetically just set a course for my life (laughs) like they're so beautiful and so well done and I love old movies so I guess it's not saying a lot but I just feel like liking these as a child made me appreciate black and white films and and older films and a lot of things that little kids don't usually enjoy did that do the same for you or did you did you kind of stay in the horror realm or did it expand your viewing for just older films in general? Mm, I'd say because I watched these from such an early age, I was more willing to mm-hmm. go out of the realm of modern films and watch older stuff because around the same time I was watching Three Stooges shorts, oh, yeah. which are like <laughs> 1930s comedy shorts. Yeah. So I, I kind of grew up with like people telling me like, 
or even like when I was a kid, 80s movies were considered old. Like yeah. everyone just kind of telling me like, do you even watch modern movies? And I'm like, shit, I do. But <laughs> I just I see no shame in going back to see the foundation for for modern filmmaking that we see today. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. I always watch old films, not as like a form of entertainment, but almost as like a form of study. Yeah. Like it's it's doing your homework. It's it's doing your due diligence like you you're hyped for the new Guillermo del Toro Frankenstein film. You better watch that original adaptation (laughs) because that's one of his favorite fucking movies. Yeah. No, I feel like there's a lot to be said about if you want to work in film or write, then doing your homework on the classics is super important and fun. Like, I I feel like people don't want to watch black and white movies because they don't see them as fun. But there are so Mm -hmm. many good ones and and they gave us this genre. So, uh, so appreciate it. (laughs) But yeah, love it. So more about Frankenstein, the film itself. Um, What are your takeaways from the film? Like not history, like how do you think it just holds up as a film in general? Yeah, I am kind of shocked that after so many times, I still get so emotionally moved by this movie. Mm -hmm. It's genuinely hard for me to watch the monster, the way he gets treated, because Mm -hmm. he is so scared. And then he the second he's shown an ounce of kindness, he gives that kindness back. He's not like with the little girl. Yes, he kills her, unfortunately, but that's an accident. Um, mm-hmm. He it, like they even say it. Dr. Frankenstein is like, oh, he's only been alive a couple of days. So his mind isn't where ours would be. Right. Mm-hmm. And when he first is shown he he seems like a toddler, like a child. And every time he is kind of aggressive or making loud noises, it's like a toddler's temper tantrum. They're scared or they're confused or cold. He mm-hmm. He's being stuck into a dungeon and tortured. And these people are being horrible to him. And he seems more like a scared little kid or a little puppy. The aggression mm-hmm. is all reactionary. None of it is him. Which obviously everyone knows this, the monster's misunderstood. I'm not saying anything new and nothing new can be said. This movie came out almost a century ago. But Uh it is shocking that despite knowing that that's in the film, it is so moving like that. It stood the test of time on eliciting an emotional reaction, especially that little scene with, is it Maria? Little girl? Yeah. Yeah. Especially that scene with Maria, the child. When she holds his hand and asks him to play and they're just playing with daisies and he is happy and he's showing kindness. And you see more of this even in the sequel in The Bride of Frankenstein of just how 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 much they humanized this big, scary monster. And I, I think that it's just a testament to good writing and good filmmaking. Mm-hmm. What about you? A hundred percent. Well, shit. Well, I don't really know how to follow that up because I was like, <laughs> God damn, this movie's kind of funny with how much they fight. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, we have completely different interpretations. That's great. I love it. Well, well, it's like you said, it's the movie's almost 100 years old. Yeah. What can I say that's like new? It's you can't. Everything that I'm going to spit out has been said already. 
I think this movie is wildly entertaining. Mm-hmm. Like the fights that Colin Clive mm-hmm. and Boris Karloff <laughs> get in are pretty funny. It's pretty fucking funny when you got uh when you got Fritz going in there with the whip and whipping oh him, God. and then and then it, it like <laughs> Doctor Frankenstein walks back in there and Fritz is hung with the whip. <laughs> I was like, yo, I love when Fritz dies and they were like, well, he did torture. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, well, shit, saw that one coming. Yeah. <laughs> um, kind of just little moments like that are funny. Like, I, I know that's horrible to say, like, oh, this man getting killed by the monster he was torturing is pretty fucking funny. He deserved it. It's funny. Yeah, it kind of is. And then it's kind of funny at the beginning where they're stealing the brain out of the university. <laughs> like there's yes. the normal brain and the criminal brain. And then he just drops the normal brain is like oh shit yeah oh i love um, you're right those are very funny funny scenes. yeah there's there's a lot of funny moments um there's also like a really funny moment that me and my dad found out as we were reading on this film um where the monster is carrying dr frankenstein like through the windmill mm-hmm. um boris karloff accidentally broke colin clive's collarbone Oh my god! <laughs> so if you so if you rewatch that scene, like his arms are fucking drooping down from That's where he broke his collarbone. Insane. Yeah, and and then it culminates with his dummy being thrown from the top of the windmill. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! I love when they were like, "It's a criminal brain. Only evil can come of it." Excuse me. It's just a brain. <laughs> I just thought it, that was so funny. It's, it's a, it, well, I mean, it was the 1930s. A lot of pseudosciences were running around. Totally. It's just funny now, a hundred years later, to see that. I think it's funny that Elizabeth is his sister wife. How does that make you feel? Um. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that term means exactly. Can you explain it? So uh, they're engaged, but she is also at some point becomes his adopted sister. Ah. So she's okay. his sister wife. <laughs> well, I mean, are they blood related? No. <laughs> you know what? Are, Fair are, enough. Are, are we going to have an ethics debate on this? And well, it's like that age old question. Like, would you ever date like a step sibling? <laughs> I, I swear to God, when I was last in Phoenix, me and a group of friends had about a two and a half hour argument about this. I, the first time I met one of my closest friends um we were in a it it was we were having drinks and it was Uh me my roommate and his best friend and we're all a very tight group of friends yeah and one of the first conversations we ever had was would you date a step sibling it's 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 a nuanced question anyway this is not the debate I wanted us to have. No, no. But it's interesting <laughs> that it's like just casually just thrown in there. That I think it's it like, was not weird in the 30s. I could not tell you I was not alive. In I the wasn't 30s. there, but people were like back then weren't people marrying their cousins and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I guess or like so. their nieces. I just feel like in the maybe the 30s was like the tail end of like when this would have been normal. The tail end but, of when this is wasn't weird. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I just I only brought it up because I thought it was funny. I thought it was no, like a it, silly little thing. <laughs> no, it is. It is. It's it's interesting. Sister wife is definitely a choice term. So besides the monster, do you have like a favorite character in this movie? I want to say Fritz because a lot of my laughs were associated with him. He's just he's just a feral being. My favorite is Baron Frankenstein because that's his dad, right? Yeah, he gives Peapaw energy 
And <laughs> oh my god. I love that the second Victor was like, I'm busy with work. He went to his fiance and was like, There's another woman. He's totally cheating on you. Oh shit. <laughs> Literally. Like, he's like, Yep, Henry found another. Yep. Yep. I was like, and he kept being like, How could he be going to work when such a beautiful woman is at home for him? I was like, you well, know what? Kill him, Peepaw. You're right. <laughs> I I guess. Ugh. I thought it was funny. No, that that is funny. That's I'm telling you, there's a lot of funny moments in there this movie. Are. There definitely are. It, it is still like genuinely really great, though. Like the scene where they bring the monster to life. Oh, my and gosh. He, and they have the line that for many years was cut out of the film. And I think in the 1980s was reinserted where uh, he said it's alive. And then he says, now I know how it feels, feels to, be to be God. God. I love that line. That's such a good line. I that thing. Love that line. Over 50 years, that thing was cut out. That line was cut because of the religious implications. Yep. The whole movie was like banned in Kansas. Kansas just said, nope. <laughs> yeah, they said it was like bad for morality. Well, yeah, I guess so. The horror genre was still like emerging. True. But yeah, that line is such a sleigh. I'm so glad no, I never experienced a, life without it. <laughs> it's a it's a really good line. And it kind of drives home the whole like, well, the, the title of the book is Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus. Yeah. Which for oh my listeners God, I love who don't know. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. Um, for our listeners that don't know, Prometheus in um is it Greek mythology, correct? I believe so. Um, Prometheus created humans from fire and clay and was banished for doing so from the gods. He was punished. So Frankenstein is literally that modern story. A man creates a man playing God and in turn has basically his whole life destroyed over the course of this movie. Yeah. Also, I just saw Oppenheimer like three days ago, so I cannot get that out of my head. I'm so sorry. <laughs> is the atomic bomb, is that his monster it is. that he's creating? It is. He has become death destroyer of worlds. <laughs> It's funny because that's a real life situation, but the new Oppenheimer film has a lot of parallels to Frankenstein. Yeah, it really does. No, really. Think about it. No, you're even even down to abandoning your family for your work. Yep. A hundred percent. And the whole Trinity test is very similar to the 1930s Frankenstein where they're bringing him to life. The lightning. No, that's so yeah, you have the spectacle of lightning in the 1931 film, and then you have the Trinity test explosion spectacle in Oppenheimer. And then people being horribly angry at this person for creating something. That's crazy. Okay. Oh, man. Guillermo del Toro, don't make your Frankenstein movie. We have a modern one already <laughs> in our midst. Frankenheimer. Okay, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Uh, <laughs> so we talked about this a little bit earlier. About uh, Jack P. Pierce's makeup, but I found some fun facts I thought we could talk about. Okay, shoot, shoot, lamb lam on me. <laughs> so the monster in this film does not physically resemble the character in Mary Shelley's novel, which I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. It was fairly makeup- obvious. Yeah, yeah. It was makeup artist Jack P. Pierce who came up with the innovations such as the flat head, the bolts through the neck, droopy eyelids, and the poor fitted suit. 
any future Frankenstein film that features any of these physical abnormalities is taking inspiration from his makeup work. And the copyright for his makeup actually expires in two years, in 2026. Isn't that crazy? That is fucking insane that that thing is copyrighted and like, like Del Toro's Frankenstein can't well obviously his is going to be based more on the book i think yeah but he cannot use the square-headed look if he really wanted to it's because really crazy to think about unless they're able to license that in some way um it's really crazy to think about the fact that we're very close to the copyright being done yeah i won't mention a certain company losing a trademark but it is <laughs> pretty crazy um to think that these characters or this design is entering public domain like yeah in a way yeah i think around the same time superman and batman are in yeah. public domain it's that is insane it's really weird to think about so i shout out to pierce you've really set the standard for this character okay so like frankenstein is already in public domain like yes, anybody can make a frankenstein movie yes is public domain yeah. so so I wonder if like in 2026, when the copyright on the makeup expires, if we're just going to see like an influx of like Frankenstein remakes. I feel like we are only because there have been so many like, oh, the copyright's over. We're going to make a blank character that I can't Frankenstein as a slasher. Yeah, exactly. But like with the exact look of the original. Yeah, that's so, you know, that's wild. Knowing that, like, we could potentially get a remake of this movie and like, okay, so like it can look like him and it can be based on the book, but the movie itself is trademarked by Universal. I believe they own they will always own the rights to that. Uh Uh-huh. But yes, essentially it could be copied pretty closely as it would probably just have to more closely follow the plot of the book or be different enough from both. See, so. A couple years ago, uh, Bella Lugosi's estate worked with this comic book company. I forgot which one. And they did a graphic novel adaptation of the Bram Stoker Dracula novel. But oh, using yeah. Bella Lugosi's look as the vampire. That's crazy. So I wonder if we'll get like a book accurate adaptation of Frankenstein, but with the Jack Pierce design. That'd be so sick. It's it's interesting. Um, that look is super iconic. I I don't associate anything more with this movie than that. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. So, speaking of young Frankenstein earlier, a little fun fact that I enjoyed is uh-huh. that some of the science equipment that were used in the nineteen thirty one Frankenstein were also used on the set of Young Frankenstein. That's just fun to me. Yeah, yeah, that's wild. I love it. I mean, I mean, what like Hollywood prop houses probably yeah. had that lying around, no? Yeah, and and it's like being able to in- incorporate a little bit of history into your movie, inspired by that history, is really cool. Um, you, you know what that kind of reminds me of? Hmm. Um, how Scary Movie Four? No, okay, Scary Movie Four recreated the saw bathroom. And it looked like so accurate that the producers bought it for like Saw 5, I believe, (laughs) rather than reconstruct the set. (laughs) That like that's fucking wild to me. Or like how or like how the shopping cart at the beginning of Jackass, the movie is from uh, The Incredible Shrinking Woman. Oh, my God. Yeah. Knoxville talks about on the commentary how it was (laughs) just like. 
kind of on like a back lot somewhere. And he's like, holy shit, can we use this? And the prop house was like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. That's so cool. Yeah. So I, I I assume that that's what happened here. I assume like a Hollywood prop house had, had like these Tesla coils lying around and Mel Brooks was like, oh, let me use these. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. That's that's pretty wild. I love when stuff is super practical like that and not CGI. That's why. Yeah. It just adds like so much more flair to it. That's honestly why I like these movies so much. Oh, just yeah. As someone that loves film, being able to see the, the big sets and the big set pieces and stuff like that. It's fun. OK, so we talked a little bit about Bella Lugosi earlier, but he was originally set to play the monster. He also created his own monster makeup, which is reported to have resembled the Gollum from the 1920 film, The Gollum. Um, About 20 minutes of test footage was shot with him, actually, but it's considered to be lost, which whenever I think about lost footage from the early days, it makes me sick to my stomach. Just how much, how much we've lost. I think they said something fucking ridiculous, like 80% of silent films are I think lost. That's, no, I think that's the right number. And the first time I ever heard that in like a film class, I was actually nauseous. That makes well, me sick. <laughs> it's it's wild because, I mean, a lot of that was nitrate film and yeah. that shit combusts yeah. like out of thin air. Like you could have you could take it out into the Southern California air on a hot day. And if a gust of wind hits it right, it'll <laughs> ignite. Are you you want to know what's insane? The Egyptian is now outfitted to project nitrate film. I heard that. Is that true? No, that's true. They have like oh a proper project because you have to do this like special projector to make sure like hot air doesn't get in and fucking yeah. ignite the film. So, oh yeah, God. that's like one of the things like American Cinematheque and Netflix went in on. You know what? Shout out to them. That's so cool to preserve stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also apparently a poster. For the Bella Lugosi Frankenstein. There is. And I also want to surplus this little fact with Please. Bella Lugosi ended up playing the monster finally in 1943 in the film Frankenstein meets the, the Wolfman. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I almost put that as one of our upcoming movies. Oh, that one's good. That one's fun as hell. No, I know. I that is so awesome. But yeah, there is a poster. I don't know if you've seen it. It's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I need to look it up. <laughs> Google it right now. I want to see. I want to hear your reaction. <laughs> Is it the one where it looks like he's like 100 feet tall? He's literally like, like towering over the building. He's buildings? a kaiju. <laughs> yeah. No, it's wild. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that's it. the poster for that film. Um, Pretty, pretty interesting that he was that universal like this is what i was going back to like universal had a small pool that they were pulling from to make these early horror films they're like well fuck it he played dracula already just have him play the monster in this one so crazy speaking of posters you have another poster fact for us don't you uh yes something i'm very passionate about i don't know if our listeners really know this but i'm a huge theatrical one sheet collector i think i own about like 350 last i checked god that's amazing i have poster tubes all over my house it's becoming a problem anyway frankenstein is one of the most valuable theatrical one sheets of all time with the last one selling for around three hundred and fifty eight thousand dollars. oh my god (laughs) and if i'm correct the rumored buyer was kirk hammett from metallica really yeah he loves universal monsters and he he buys like original like theatrical one sheets um 
if I had the money, I would too. Have you ever seen like one of his signature guitars is like the poster for Dracula, the original? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's so, so cool. He, he buys up like all this stuff. Um, but pretty wild though. I always found it interesting that that was one of the most valuable posters. But you look at you look at the the art that Universal used to use to advertise these, and it, it's just literally works of art. I, I was just thinking about how I wish posters still looked like that. Okay. There are two that I could think of in recent memory that are Pearl? like that. No. Pearl's regular theatrical one sheet oh, was the I one. I wasn't thinking with the about X. the regular. I'm sorry. I'm thinking about the one that's hanging on my wall. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. There are two theatrical one sheets that I can think of in recent memory that when I saw them, I'm like, oh, those are legitimate works of art. And they are Indiana Jones and the Dial Dust. Shout out. Just a wonderful poster. And two, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, my God. That is one of my favorite posters of all time. Oh, yeah. Uh, those those are the two recent posters in memory that kind of remind me of like 1930s like heyday of like here we're gonna yeah. advertise our posters with like legitimate works of art i have wanted that once upon a time in hollywood poster for so long i worked at a movie theater at the time it came out so i oh stole my it God. i'm so <laughs> jealous oh my gosh uh it's 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 been on my wall for a very long time it's so pretty it's oh. good it's but going back to frankenstein it's like they they really commissioned like a genuine artist to which i don't know the artist right off the top of my head which i'm ashamed to i should but universal really commissioned a genuine artist to paint something yeah and you you feel it when you look at it like i don't want to sound pretentious like oh you feel the art when no you but look it's at it. ta- it's literally tactile like yeah you the textures and everything you yeah, really you can see feel it. like the brush strokes on it yeah i to- it's not pretentious i completely agree or we're both pretentious i don't know i love it <laughs> i i just you know universal monster movies ruled because all of their posters were like works of art and you know poster art theatrical one sheets are really important to me because i feel like it's Mm -hmm. a lost medium as we get more into the digital age like a Mm -hmm. lot like you see something like the poster for like anyone but you and it's like the laziest photoshop design it's so disappointing even something like even something like barbie just had like lazy photoshop yeah and they could have done a painted vintage barbie poster and it would have killed Mm -hmm. 100 percent. it kills me and, or like all these superhero movies that make so much money. I can't even think of the last superhero poster movie I liked. I, I think the ones I've liked the most in recent history have been mm. the Batman ones. Because it at least felt like a creative vision. The, the Batman ones are great because they, like you said, they do represent a, a very like sincere and commitment to creative vision. Mm-hmm. I want to say Birds of Prey. Had very good posters, too. Oh, I loved. Oh, like the Venus, the Birth of Venus yes, poster. The Birth I of Venus one. one is very good because you could tell that, that that one was genuinely like thought out. Yeah. No, I, I do really like that one. But it's just crazy that like these movies, they're like getting bigger and bigger and like posters are just getting like lazier and lazier. I liked all the like Star Wars trilogy posters of Ooh. the new trilogy. Yeah. 
<laughs> they're great they are legitimately good yeah but literally force awakens last jedi in even rise of skywalker had like fantastic posters yeah i this is super random but just in the in the vein of loving universal posters i just mm-hmm. got a puzzle in december mm-hmm. and it's like all of the old universal monster posters oh that rules i know i'm so excited to make it just because i love all of this art and i'm going to be able to stare at it for hours at a time (laughs) you know what you could also look into getting uh the puzzles from mondo where they're francesco francavia yeah doing his universal monster yes i don't have like any of his prints i i i do i don't have his universal monster prints because those sell out right away yeah um but i have three prints from him and I don't know if you could tell if I kept on theme with getting these three prints. I have one of him, but of the Batman. Oh, amazing. Um, I have one of Batman and Dracula, Red Rain. <laughs> and then I have one of Horror of Dracula. Oh, my gosh. So I display them theme. as like kind of like a trilogy. No, they are. That's perfect. Also, I know exactly what the Batman one you got because I almost got that one. Oh, the one of Patton, uh, Robert Pattinson, like looking down in the rain. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It rules, rules so hard. That was something I jumped on. Ugh. Um, I just I, I, I really, really love movie art. And that's like part of the appeal of these Universal Monster movies is like they have killer art. Like, yeah, they really I, do. Like, I would love to just have like a coffee table book of of either the Universal Monster posters or the Godzilla posters and have like dedicated entries talking about like the artist, when it was commissioned, like what the goals were with with the piece. Like, yeah, somebody make it happen. I know there's only about 30 Universal Monster movies, but I would still buy that book. That means it's containable in a book. Yeah, that's perfect. We could do all the international posters. Oh, my gosh. Perfect. Yeah. Oh, some of the Spanish language ones. Yes. Spanish ones and Japanese ones and Italian ones. Italian ones always slay. Yeah. Italian posters fucking rule. So good. (laughs) They rip. They Um, rip. (laughs) Not literally. That sucks. sucks (laughs) (laughs) Um, That was the only thing I wanted to bring up with Frankenstein was that it's one of the most valuable posters of all times. I think number one, I think number one, for those that are curious, because it's a movie we'll never cover on here, is Metropolis. Oh, my God. I think it sold for like almost a million dollars. That's and, insane. And the rumored buyer buyer was Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. Oh, my God. Before we get out of here, we do have a quick word from our sponsor, Cinema Vixens, to get your fix of movie theme merch, reviews, and all things celebrating the girls and gays of cinema. Visit cinemavixens.com and use our code SLASHERGIRLS to get 10% off. Stay slashing. Madison, how do you want to adjourn this first uh, Monster of the Month uh, meeting? I am just so grateful we're doing this. Mm-hmm. I This is so much fun and I can't wait to get into all the old and new monster movies this year. It's going to be a really good time. But if you want to find us and hear us talk about horror movies, on other places online. Raina, where can they find you? You can find me at all social media platforms at JFC Doomblade. You know, it's Twitter, it's Instagram, it's it's threads, it's whatever the hot social media of the week everybody's using. Probably follow Letterboxd. 
<laughs> That's probably my most uh, consistent. But yeah, you can also find my work being published pretty regularly at bloodydisgusting.com and fangoria.com. Madison, where can people find you? Before I do that, what's your other horror podcast? You could also follow me at my other horror podcast, the Carnal Extremities podcast, where we pair up a extreme horror film and an extreme musical offering. Most of the time it's metal. Go ahead and check us out on Apple and Spotify podcasts. Madison, where can people find you? So just like Effie said last week about her being fickle, I'm also very fickle about my usernames and I wanted a horror username like her. So I totally copied Effie. You can find me on Twitter at Final Girl Mads and anywhere else at Madison Gracie underscore. And you can find the Slasher Girls at Slasher Girls Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And just to get you guys a little hyped for our next episode, next week as a celebration of Groundhog Day, we are going to watch Happy Death Day, which is very exciting. Wow! <laughs> uh, we're all big fans of that movie. And um, it'll be fun to watch a more modern slasher. I think this will be our first, right? No, we did Thanksgiving oh, as our we first episode. JK! <laughs> well, it's another holiday and it's another modern Psych! one. Psych! That's the wrong number! <laughs> Thank you guys, as always, for listening. We appreciate you all so much. If you like the pod and you want to leave us a little review, we would really appreciate it. Um, follow us on socials for news, giveaways, stuff like that. And we'll see you next week. Bye. I just want to be the one you love.